Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Honest Podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Barron, and thank you so much for joining me. I have missed y'all. I miss you guys every week. I really do. Um, I love this stuff. But if you haven't already, smash that subscribe button. I uh, I genuinely appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. Um, if you want, feel free to leave a review. Tell somebody about it. Share it out with your friends, family, anybody else. But hitting that subscribe button means a lot to me. And also, leave your feedback in the comments. You know, if you like something, you didn't like something, you want to hear more of something, you want me to get another guest on, BrutallyHonestPodcast.com. You can also interact interact with me there. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, the whole line, Brutally Honest Podcast, um, or my personal Instagram, which is Harrison underscore Baron. And if you really want to go crazy, feel free to support Patreon.com forward slash Brutally Honest Podcast. Going to be doing, in the process of doing a lot of work. The website is being rebuilt. Um, It's going to look so much better. Super stoked for you guys to see it. But in the meantime, I have a podcast for you guys to listen to. And this podcast was a personal favorite of mine um, for many reasons. One, because it was quite difficult to get a hold of. Not a bad thing. We just were both very busy people, but we got it done. I was super excited. And there was a lot of people I know that were super excited for this podcast, which is why you should be so excited. My guest today is a man by Tom Richardson. He is a very well-respected chief in the FDNY. He is just a phenomenal individual, a leadership uh, pioneer, I would like to say, because he just brings so much to the table. Um, I have been to numerous leadership seminars in my life and whatnot and learned and I have consumed more in an hour and a half from him than I have in most of those combined. Nothing bad about them, but just a super, super stand-up dude. Uh, he shares a lot of his insights and those are some of the accolades. There are so many more. Refer to the bio. They'll they'll all be in there. Um, but without any further ado, that's that's pretty much it. That's all I got to tell you guys. But without any further ado, please welcome my friend, Tom Richardson. What's up? Thanks for coming down, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks. It's a nice, uh, nice early Friday morning. Excellent. The uh, how you been? The um, last time I saw you, I was at the Sable Firehouse right. for some training, and it was. I heard from other people that were there; it was some of the best training they've been to. Well, I'm glad they enjoyed it. I I always enjoy doing those leadership classes. Um, you know, leadership is something we read about. It's something that we talk about. But everybody has their own little spin on leadership, right? So it's nothing new. Mm-hmm. All of the principles are the same. It's just getting someone's perspective on it. And I feel like I've been in the fire service a long time so that I'm able to uh, speak to it from my experience. And all of the people that I had the good fortune of working with both as a volunteer firefighter and a career firefighter, some of the people that shaped me mm-hmm. into who I have become as a fire officer. So whenever I get the opportunity to pass it on, mm-hmm. I take it, and it's and I, I enjoy it. I enjoy speaking to firefighters and fire officers 
and you know it's uh, it's inspiring to me to be able to share um, just my thoughts. Yeah, and I always like to try and have a discussion with people because we, we could agree to disagree on some things, mm-hmm. right? So. That's why uh, I'm, I'm glad I get the opportunity to do those types of things once in a while. Absolutely. What do you think formed you into the leader that you are, that you pass it on? Because I attended, and I thought it was definitely one of the best classes I've attended. And I've attended a lot of leadership classes. And they're all, like you said, along the same principles. But yours definitely stuck out. Why? I'm not sure. But it was just like you left there and you felt really good you felt like oh it's not that hard actually you know you i try to keep it to being practical pragmatic Mm -hmm. real Mm -hmm. real world uh, because we're we're real people and the people that we lead as fire officers or fire chiefs if if you don't get to know them and understand where they're coming from and understand a little bit about their background and who they are, uh, you're not going to get to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that simple, yeah. quite frankly. I, uh, to, to your question about who shaped me, so <clears throat> I, uh, I'm the son of a uh, Korean War Marine. My dad, uh, his name was Thomas Richardson as well. <laughs> he uh, probably the, the toughest person that I ever met in my life. Very, I, very yeah, I can imagine. Tough, tough guy. And he had a moral compass that was due north. and All the time. I, yes, all the time. Um, I'm the oldest of five children. You know, I have uh, two brothers and two sisters. Okay. And, you know, I watched my dad uh, go. He worked for Con Edison. Mm-hmm. And then he became a volunteer firefighter in, in, uh, on Long Island. And I watched my dad just growing up. <clears throat> And how he conducted himself, a man of principle, and always talked about doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And that's a mantra that we use in the fire service. You Absolutely. Know, do the right thing, right? That's what we do. So he he was my, my, my lead mentor in life, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, what really proved it all to me was my mom uh, had gotten ill very young, in her mid-40s. She had had a stroke. Oh, wow. and uh, she was pretty sick and my dad he took care of my mother till the day he died he died before her but he was a committed guy you know he took his marriage vow seriously mm-hmm. and I never will forget that you know when I tell my children um, you talk about the word commitment mm-hmm. and integrity and honor and doing the right thing. My dad was unbelievable. This guy worked full-time job, traveling back and forth uh, to Brooklyn, working for Con Edison, but he took care of my mom like uh, I, I couldn't believe. I, honestly, I don't know if I could have done what he did. He, he really did an unbelievable job. So when I look at that and then talk about, you know, just knowing people and understanding who they are, he taught me a lot. So that was my... Uh, that was my inspiration, I guess, to uh, and and my lead to follow, you know, moving forward in my life. So, you know, you try to pass those lessons on. No, absolutely. Know? That's super powerful. You yeah. know, and the fact that it stuck with you for that, yeah. I mean, it's for still your to this life. day, you know, it always, always will. My my mom passed away a few years back, but uh, until he 
till the day he died, man. He was a committed guy. He took good. He took unbelievable care of her. So it was uh, it was quite quite something to uh, to see, honestly. You know? No, absolutely. Growing up under him too is yeah, yeah. It just sets yeah. It sets a principle for the rest sure. of your life, and that's incredible. And now, was he a volunteer firefighter? Or was he a firefighter as well? Right. So my dad joined the volunteer fire service when he was a little older. He was. Uh, I think my dad was about 35 years old when he joined. Mm -hmm. uh, he joined in uh, Deer Park. And so I guess I was about nine years old when my dad joined the fire service. And uh, he loved it. <laughs> he loved it. It's a lot I, to love. Oh, my God. He loved it. And where was he a volunteer? In Deer Park. Okay. Yep. Same town where I was. And uh, he, I just saw how much he loved it. But interestingly enough, <clears throat> as a kid growing up, I never really took a, a, a real interest in it. My youngest brother, he would be with my dad all the time at the firehouse. <laughs> so my dad became a chief in, in the volunteers, and my brother would be with him all the time, taking in the runs, you mm -hmm. know. And I just, for some reason, at, uh, you know, when my dad was a chief, I was in high school, and I just, you know, I was playing baseball, and that was my life, you know, mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to do, and... I didn't really take an interest in it. I never joined the junior fire department in, in in town. Neither did my brother. But interestingly enough, I get to meet um, a gentleman by the name of John Vigiano okay. through my dad. John Vigiano joined the volunteers back in the mid-'70s. I guess I was a junior in high school. Mm -hmm. And my dad and him kind of hit it off because they were both Marines. Oh, okay. So... John was a tremendous individual. He's a he's a, he's a, a wonderful human being, and he had such an interest and a love for training. My dad kind of gravitated to him, and they built a pretty good training program in Deer Park. Mm. And again, being a young kid, uh, my dad introduced me to John, and it was at the time where I was trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life when I get out of high school, right? Absolutely, like we all do. And <laughs> a shocking moment yeah and my dad uh introduced me like i said and john was a lieutenant in rescue company two in brooklyn at the time mm -hmm. and he said want to go want to go to work with me so i i went to work a few times with him and uh i rode with rescue two as a kid as a high school oh kid. wow and uh, just went to work it was pretty cool and my neighbor directly across the street um, his name was Pete Iovino. He was a firefighter as well in the city. And so I kind of knew a little bit about the job just from talking to him. And I used to, I went to work with him a few times. He was a firefighter in Engine 236 in East New York, Brooklyn. And back in those days, we were pretty busy. And so I kind of said, this is pretty cool. <laughs> I might want to do this. So I was a senior in high school now. And there was a test coming up in 1977, December for New York City firefighter. Mm -hmm. I graduated high school the previous June, and I took the test, and then I was determined at the time, I said, I'm going to be a firefighter. That's going to be, that, I'm, I'm going to be a New York City firefighter. That's what I want to do. That's it. Solidified and, it. And uh, I went to college for a little bit. Uh, didn't really like it, you know, and you have to be 21 years old to be hired in New York City Fire Department. And uh, <clears throat> I got my letter to be appointed about six weeks uh, after my 21st birthday. Mm -hmm. It was just perfect timing. Yeah. 
So I turned, Happy birthday. I turned 21 October 9th, 1980, and I was sworn in into the New York City Fire Department November 22nd, 1980. So, and I've been, I, I tell people to this day, when people say, how you doing? I say, I'm living the dream. And it's the truth. Oh, absolutely. It is the God's honest truth. So I'll celebrate 38 years in the fire department come in uh, November. Been a volunteer for 40. You know, I joined yeah. the volunteers right out of high school. Oh, so okay. I took the test. What made you want to be a volunteer? My dad. Just ha- just hang I out with dad and see. saw how much my dad loved it. He loved it. So he... Uh, he loved being a firefighter. And I used to say to him, how come you didn't become a New York City firefighter? Uh-huh. He says, you know, uh, I got the job with Con Edison, um, got married, uh-huh. you know, and then started having a family, and that was it. You know, he said, I really couldn't afford to uh, to take the job. Yeah. Uh, and his dad, my grandfather, was a New York City firefighter, uh, who I never met. Uh-huh. My grandfather passed before any of us were born. But... Uh, he was on the job. He was a New York City firefighter. New York City firefighter. Was his? Was he? Did? Was there? Is there a long list of relatives in in FDNY? Or no, is it just just my grandfather and my father. Okay, and that was it. And my grandfather got on the job in 1931. Oh wow! Retired in 1954, okay. and he passed away in 1956. But he was uh, a firefighter for 23 years, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, but my dad very, very rarely talked about that, you know. Mm-hmm. It was interesting, you know. But he told me, yeah, my, my dad was on the job, you know. But my dad was very proud when I got on the job. You know, he was just thrilled to death. Absolutely. It's, you know? it's an amazing opportunity. Yeah, and then I joined the Volleys. So I took the test for New York City Fire in December of 77. I joined the Volleys in January of 1978, uh, 18 years old, mm-hmm. and uh, loved it. Yeah, loved it, and then I was just waiting to get hired by New York City, and I got hired when I was 21, and uh, time has just flown by. You know, it's been a great career, man. <laughs> That's good, I, man. I, I've been blessed, man. I I, uh, I wouldn't change a thing, honestly and truthfully. I believe it. Wouldn't change. I believe a thing. it. It definitely runs deep with you. I mean, anyone that's even around you, you can tell that that not only do you obviously support everything that the the fire department does, but it, there's a love that goes mm-hmm. way deeper than anything else. That's incredible. The now and none of your kids are doing are any of your kids volunteers at least. No, no, really? not at all. No, I have uh, three children, mm-hmm. uh, two girls and a boy, and they're not. Uh, my son took the test recently, mm-hmm. so he's waiting to see what the results are going to be when they come out with the list. I got so you. he's just waiting. All right, good. But uh, I hope yeah. he gets on. Yeah, keep, I'm, keep I'm, the keep the line going. I, I hope he does too. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Now, so you've obviously been in your fire department the entire life. How, what was it like to transition from lieutenant to captain to chief and now to where you are? Sure. So, because uh, most people get to lieutenant and captain, and right. by the time chief comes around, most people are either retiring or yeah. things are coming up in life. And- you know, the the uh, in the FDNY, the opportunity is there for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you put your mind to it yeah. and you want to study for promotion, it's just a matter of doing it. And what most people do is they get into study groups, you know, small groups of four or five other people. And that's what I did when I was studying for lieutenant. Oh, smart. I got into a study group with a group of people that mm-hmm. I knew, 
Uh, we were all studying for lieutenant. A couple of guys were actually studying for captain at the time. Oh, wow. And, you know, I got promoted to lieutenant with just about 10 years in the fire department, which was, was, which was good. That was a good time, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the hardest transition, I, in my opinion anyway, the, the, the most difficult transition is from firefighter to lieutenant. Um, it's just, you know, you're, you're a worker bee. Mm-hmm. You're, 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 you're getting it done. You do the tasks. And now you transition to supervisor where you're responsible for four or five firefighters that are sitting in the back of a, a fire apparatus, mm-hmm. an engine or a truck company. And to me... That was the biggest challenge. Like, I, I realized very quickly, <laughs> you know, when you're a firefighter, you're responsible for yourself. Yeah. You're part of a team, yep. and you operate as a team, and it's all about unit integrity and unit discipline and getting the job done. But you have to do your individual task to make sure that the team is going to be successful. Absolutely. When you become lieutenant, you're responsible for literally the, for the lives of four or five people uh, that you're supervising on any given tour, so that that was a heavy, a heavy burden in the in the beginning stages. But mm-hmm. you know, you transition. You have your your mentors that you look up to and you reach out to to ask questions on how to come across or how to deal with certain challenges. But I felt I was prepared to be an officer just from, you know, all the hours and a couple of years of studying to take the exam. And then I had the good fortune to work and just with some unbelievable people. So mm-hmm. I was very, very fortunate yeah. to, in, in the places that I worked uh, and the people that I worked with. And so there's many people that could tell that story. Thousands of people could tell that story. Yeah. And I was just one of them. But I, I truly look back and say, those are the folks that shaped me as a firefighter, you know, and then were able, I was able to more easily maybe transition into the officer's ranks. Wow. And then what made you decide to say, hey, you know, I want to keep going up to be chief? You know, I often tell people, you know, uh, young people today, too, that become lieutenants. I said, listen, if you're going to be a lieutenant, you might as well be a captain. It's the same job. Yeah. You know, on the fire ground anyway or emergency scene. Yeah. But I will say this. Um, being a captain, especially when you get assigned a unit, being a company commander, you're responsible. You are the... You set the tone, mm-hmm. you shape the unit, um, and you make that unit into what you want it to be. So I had a vision that I want to be that person someday. I want to be a company commander. You know, I want to be in charge of a unit. Mm-hmm. And when you're in charge of a unit in New York City, you're in charge of three lieutenants and essentially 20 to 25 firefighters. So they're yours. Mm-hmm. And in New York City Fire Department, we often uh, we talk amongst uh, ourselves. In every company, there's three lieutenants. There's 25 firefighters. There's only one captain. Mm. You're it. <laughs> so it's your unit. Yeah. Uh, you make it what you want. Like I said, you set the tone. You set policy. And then the challenge is to try and get everybody to get on board with your with your vision for that unit. And so... I really enjoyed being a captain. That was one of my favorite ranks. I, I loved being a captain. Uh, I guess I, I spent about seven years in the captain's rank. And oh, wow. I was a lieutenant for like three. Mm-hmm. I was a captain for seven years, and I was a captain of two different units. And uh, it was a rewarding experience to watch watch companies uh, 
um, watch your company develop into a really good cohesive team mm-hmm. and and be able to influence that many people that Absolutely. that was that was the that was the the uh, the the uh, the most rewarding part now when you're a captain like when you said you were a lieutenant you're responsible for four or five fire firefighters lives when you're a captain, do you still feel that same responsibility now for 25 lives? Or sure. do you feel it more so that I need to make sure that I can give everything I possibly can to the lieutenants, and then the lieutenants are then responsible for the lives? Well, going back, to what I, no, going back to what I said earlier is that if you set the right tone mm-hmm. and you show sincere and solid and strong leadership, and can get what many people would say officer solidarity where everybody's on the same page, mm-hmm. well, then you can feel pretty good that your message is going to trickle down to the troops mm-hmm. and that by virtue of that, everybody, um, you know, everybody comes together. And, yeah, you you are really responsible for, for those folks. And, you know, some of the things we take for granted, I think, as firefighters and fire officers, you know, is that, especially as a fire officer, a chief officer too, is that, you know, not only are you responsible for the lives of the firefighters you're supervising, um, you you actually have an obligation, at least in my opinion, you have an obligation to their families, mm-hmm. right? No, absolutely. These people have uh, their their wives, their husbands, their their sons, their daughters, you know, their home Absolutely. while they're at work. Grandchildren. We all know, right, we all know how dangerous this business is, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it can become tragic. And so you do have a responsibility to, to those folks, and we take that for granted sometimes, but I, I kind of always try to keep that in mind as well, mm-hmm. especially when I was a company commander, you know. I uh, always tried to get to know a little bit about each of the firefighters, a little bit about their families, you know. We have company picnics. We have Christmas parties and holiday parties and things like that. And, you know, I always tried to make a point of getting to know their families a little yeah. bit, get to know the wives' names, the husbands' names, and really get to know the kids a little Gives bit. Gives a meaning. Gives a real exactly meaning. Exactly right. So you, so then when you go to work, mm-hmm. that's in your mind. And yeah. you, uh, you're able to remember that as you uh, carry out your duties. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's pretty pretty incredible. I think that... It's funny you say that because I definitely could see that that would make it kind of takes a job from a job to a lifestyle. Sure. You know, it's it's no longer hey, you know, I'm going to work 9 to 5. You know, it's I have to make sure that Jimmy comes home or John comes home or Mike or, or Sue or whoever comes home because they have little kids running around. You know, my kids hang out with their little kids, you know, who knows. That's right. But that's I mean, that's crazy. Yep. It's uh, it's a big responsibility. Mhm being a company officer uh, and, and being a company commander. But I uh, I aspired to that. I wanted to be a company commander. And uh, <clears throat> as far as uh, moving on to the next level, you know, going on to chief officer, battalion mm-hmm. chief level in New York City, um, you know, I, I took the test. You Explain know, I, the chief's rankings yeah, because okay. most people are going to sure. be like, oh, yeah. with those different, different levels, I barely sure. understand sure. it. Sure. <laughs> so after captain in New York City Fire Department, the next rank is battalion chief. Okay. So a battalion chief works in a battalion, mm-hmm. and a battalion typically supervises anywhere maybe from three to five or seven fire companies, firehouses actually, mm-hmm. and some double, some firehouses are double houses, engine and truck. Mm-hmm. So the battalion that I was in when I was assigned, I was in the 3-8 battalion in Brooklyn. 
Uh, we had three firehouses and six units. We had uh, three double houses, okay. three engines and three truck companies. I so gotcha. um, some battalions in the city are bigger than that. Some battalions have 10 companies. It depends oh, wow. on what part of the city yeah. they're in. So uh, in every battalion, there's a, four battalion chiefs assigned. Mm-hmm. One of them is assigned as the battalion commander. And he's like the captain of the battalion, right? He, gotcha. he runs yep. the battalion, he or she. And... Uh, Battalion chief is is a, is. I I spent you know fourteen years as a battalion chief. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I spent my longest uh, in in every rank. That was the longest I spent in any rank, and uh, I loved it. You know, I I was in a great battalion in a great area of the city to learn my craft, mm-hmm. and the people that I worked with again uh, were just uh, highly motivated, uh, inspiring people, and. Uh, they kind of made my job easy at times, you know. But again, battalion chief is a very, very serious responsibility. Um, so now you go to work on any given tour of duty, and in my battalion, I had six companies, essentially uh, thirty firefighters um, on duty mm-hmm. that I supervise for the tour at any given time. And when I went to a working fire, um, when you go to a working fire in New York City. The initial response is uh, on a working fire is four engine companies, three ladder companies, a rescue company, a squad company, and another battalion. Uh, so you're essentially supervising over 50 people at a working fire initially. Mm-hmm. If the fire expands to a, a second alarm or higher than that, uh, then a deputy chief is coming in to, to assist you. The deputy's mm-hmm. coming on all working fires, but essentially the battalion chief runs the fire initially. And so you, you're supervising a lot of people. You're responsible for a lot yeah. of people. So, um, But everybody knows their role. I often would explain that the job of a battalion chief is mm-hmm. like the conductor of an orchestra. Okay. You're standing out in the street, and you are just kind of managing all the parts, mm-hmm. making sure all the bases are covered. We have standard operating procedures, and everybody knows their job. The first engine company knows exactly what they're supposed to do. The first two truck company knows their job and so on. So you're just kind of conducting the orchestra. You're supposed to be looking and saying, okay, is this going to expand? If it's going to expand, do I need more help? Mm-hmm. Uh but it's a it's a tremendous responsibility, you know. I remember going to my first working fire as a battalion chief, and I was kind of overwhelmed, man. I was like, <laughs> "This is pretty serious responsibility, man." I didn't kind of I don't I think I'm ready, you know. But it takes a while to really uh, grow into the position. Yeah, take a while to grow into it's any huge, position. Yeah, the chief is huge, man. Really, really huge. And uh, you know, before I got promoted, I I was a captain of a squad company and I was loving life. You know, it was an awesome place. Mm-hmm. And I was on a battalion chief's list, and uh, the battalion chief's list was moving pretty slowly at that particular time. And I said, I don't know, I may not get promoted, mm-hmm. so maybe I'll take the next test. You know. So another test was coming, and I said, I told my wife, I said, I kind of like this job in the squad. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to stay here. I'm not going to take the next test. I'll wait till the next one. Mm-hmm. I was loving it. Yeah. <laughs> so as it l- turns out, I ha- I was on the current list, mm-hmm. the battalion chief's promotion list, and I got a call. The list was expiring, let's just say on Monday. Mm-hmm. I got a call the previous Wednesday. said, oh, by the way, you're getting promoted on Friday. Out of the clear blue sky, I had no idea. Yeah. I, didn't I didn't expect it. I was like, 
really? <laughs> I was actually going to turn it down at first. I said, but I, I said, I, I studied. I want to let my family down, you know. So I said, I took the promotion. Yeah, so I got promoted. I got promoted. So it worked out well. Like I said, I spent 14 years in that rank, so it was good. It was a good assignment, and uh, I was blessed uh, to work with all the folks that I worked with, you know. So after battalion chief in New York City, going back to your question about the sure. ranks, yeah. the next rank is deputy chief. Okay. Deputy chief is a civil service exam as well. It's a promotional exam. And, you know, you take a test, you get on a list, and it's highly competitive. You know, they typically only promote between 40 and 50 deputy chiefs over four years. Yeah. Uh, so it's very competitive. And you typically have a couple hundred people take the test. So you've got to pass the test, get on the list, and so on. So uh, after deputy chief, everything is an appointed position by the fire commissioner and the chief of department. So mm-hmm. um, last year, I had been a deputy chief about two and a half years, mm-hmm. and I was asked um, if I would be interested in becoming the chief of the fire academy in uh, New York City. And so, you know, I thought about it, mm-hmm. and uh, I was in a pretty good assignment as the deputy chief in Brooklyn in the 15th division, and I was really enjoying it, and I was really coming into really learning that role. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm approaching 37 years on, on the job. And, you know, <clears throat> I remember a former chief of department. His name was Pete Gancy, who was killed on 9-11. He was our chief of department at mm-hmm. the time. I worked with him when I was a lieutenant. He was a battalion chief in the same firehouse uh, where I was a lieutenant. And when he moved up the ranks, you know, I often remember speaking to him. And he said, you know, Tom, I uh, came to a point in my career where you know, the job has been so good to me. So when I was asked if I would give back, mm-hmm. um, he says, I, I, I did it. Mm-hmm. And I always remembered that, you know, and I said, geez, 37 years, I, I, I worked in some unbelievable firehouses with just some tremendous, tremendous people. And I said, you know, um, I'm going to take the opportunity. I'm going to do it. You know, it's, it's a, uh, it's a big commitment, you know, it's yeah. a big commitment, but training is something that I love. And, uh, the chief of training, uh, his name is Jim Hodgins. He asked me uh, initially if I'd be interested, and certainly then I got asked by the commissioner and the chief of the department to take the job, and I did. Mm-hmm. So um, it's been it's been great. I really enjoy it. Um, you know, we, we run the probationary firefighter school. We have all kinds of different training that goes on at the fire academy. Mm-hmm. So that's been a that's been a blessing. Yeah, you're so, not just training probies; you're training. The entire fire department. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a big responsibility, but it's a good job. So my rank now is what they call deputy assistant chief. Okay. So after deputy chief, it's deputy assistant chief. Mm-hmm. After deputy assistant chief, it's assistant chief. Okay. Uh, assistant chief, and then after assistant chief is the chief of department or chief of operations is who is an assistant chief, chief of operations, mm-hmm. then chief of department. You know, that's that's kind of the hierarchy in the, okay. in the New York City Fire Department. So um, up to deputy chief is uh, uh, promotional exams. You know, you okay. have to study yeah. very hard, make a big commitment. And so, uh, like I said, man, I'm living the dream. I've been blessed my whole career. So no, I, I, uh, I, I, I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, every day of my career, I, w- I really wouldn't change anything. It worked out perfectly. You yeah. know, uh, and I've been I've been blessed to work with the people that I've worked with, and uh, those that that molded me and shaped me in in, in all different parts or uh, facets of the job. 
um, my senior mentors like uh, the John Vigianos. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a lieutenant in rescue when I when I told you before, but he was still there when I went there as a young firefighter. Absolutely. Uh, Ray Downey was the captain of rescue too when I mm-hmm. went as a firefighter. I worked with Pete Gancy when I was a lieutenant. Uh, former chief of department, Eddie Kilduff, uh, who was the previous chief of department. Uh, right now, James Leonard is the chief of department. The previous chief of department was a gentleman by the name of Ed Kilduff. He was a battalion chief in the 3-8 battalion when I was a captain of 234 engine, which was in the same firehouse. Mm-hmm. And I, I eventually became a chief in the 3-8 battalion. So, you know, I worked with him. Yeah. Um, so, I mean... Some of the folks I worked with were just, uh, these These were people that were icons in the fire service, particularly in the FDNY. And, yeah. uh, and, and just the, some of the firefighters I worked with, I just go by, I look, think back at the people I worked with. and it was Guys, I'm really sorry, but the audio cut out right here. But Tommy Richardson was naming people that he was working with in New York City. I apologize. And it's only about six seconds long. I oh, worked, wow. I worked. I knew most of them. I worked with one of them, mm-hmm. uh, Timmy. His son Timmy uh, was killed on 9-11. He oh. was a lieutenant in one of the squad companies. Uh, then when I went to a truck company for my first assignment, I transferred to a truck company. Uh, my captain was a guy by the name of Dennis Cross, who was just another highly respected uh, company officer. He was the captain of ladder company 102. Uh, he eventually became a battalion chief. He was a battalion chief in the same battalion with Pete Gancy, where I was a lieutenant in 235 engine, and Dennis Cross would be killed on 9-11 as well. Mm-hmm. He was working uh, as an acting deputy chief that day, and he, he, he responded and was killed that day. So, I mean, we all lost a lot of friends on, on, on 9-11, yeah. and some of the folks we lost, I mean, these what people were... you during 9-11? I was actually a battalion chief for okay. about a year. And I was working out in Queens at the time, so I wasn't. I was actually off that day. You know, we all got recalled in, mm-hmm. and uh, when when nine eleven happened, I wound up being detailed back to the Special Operations Command uh, for about a year, a little over a year, mm-hmm. and then eventually I went back to the field as a battalion chief, and uh, in, in, uh, I got assigned to the three eight battalion in two thousand and three January, and uh, I stayed there for. So I got promoted to deputy chief. Yeah. You know, but Are it you was, okay with talking about 9-11? Sure, some questions. absolutely. So what do you think, while we're on the topic, what do you think Like you remember the most about 9-11? You know, that day, yeah. quick yeah. getting called yeah. in, all that yeah. kind of stuff. So, you know, that day, I, I, I was actually coming home from a jog. Uh, I was coming around the corner of my house, and I, I run into a woman who I knew out in the middle of the street, and she was hysterical crying. I'm like, what's the matter? Mm-hmm. I thought something was wrong, like, right? My God, and she's, you know, just not making any sense. And mm-hmm. so I said, something's up, you know, it's on the TV. And so I went in the house, I turned the TV on, and I saw what was going on. And mm-hmm. then sure, sure enough, shortly thereafter, my phone rang, and we got recalled. You know, mm-hmm. everybody on the job got recalled. So you had to report into work. At the time, I was working in Queens, and you reported into work. And uh, I got assigned to go to uh, Shea Stadium at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, to muster up all the off duty firefighters that were recalled, we were putting them together into teams, into mm-hmm. units, and they were going to be bussed to the site. Um, so we were there for the whole day, that day. Yeah. And um, some people went and others didn't. We were kind of just standing by. 
And then eventually, uh, later that day, they just told everybody, go back to your firehouses. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, I got detailed to special operations. So I didn't get down to the site till the next day. Okay. Yeah. And then I, I stayed in special operations uh, because several of the chiefs were killed. Bray Downey was killed. He was mm-hmm. the chief in charge yeah. at the time. Um, three of the battalion chiefs were killed uh, mm-hmm. from special operations command, from the special operations battalion, what they called it at the time. And so several of us got detailed there to, 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 to fill in those spots. And then we all worked down there like everybody. We all worked at the site um, for months mm-hmm. and doing the rescue and recovery. But if you go back to your original question about what do I remember the most, I'll tell you what. What I remember the most is how firefighters, fire officers, iron workers, uh, all kinds of folks, police officers, um, just everybody was able to work. In the beginning, it was total chaos, right? It was total chaos. Absolutely, yeah. For for a week or two until they could really organize this thing. But because of the nature of the work that we do and, and, and we're all about teamwork, kind of teams just kind of got formed, informal teams and form, and work got done. Yeah. Right. The work got, the work was getting done mm-hmm. until a more formal planning process was put into place, um, and you know official uh, written incident action plans came together with the assistance of our. You know, listen, even the New York City Fire Department, the biggest, baddest fire department, we were overwhelmed, and we needed outside help. Of course, um, we needed help, um, and so they brought in people from these incident management teams from the federal government. I remember the one team was from Alaska. They came in and they were able to help our senior chief officers kind of develop the incident command structure that was necessary Mm -hmm. to sustain a several month rescue and recovery operation. So, I mean, once it all came together, I was just uh, very impressed on how people were able to come together and, 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 and work together and, do the job. Was there was there some conflict? Sure, there was. Was there uh, um, some challenges? Absolutely. Yeah. But at the end, we got the job done. Yeah. We recovered as many people as we could. Mm-hmm. Uh, did it with dignity and respect. And I was uh, very very proud to be a member of the FDNY at that particular time. You know, and we've come a long way. You know, now we're coming up this year. Will be. Uh, what, 17 years in September. Mm-hmm. And we've the job has been built back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lost a lot of talent. We yeah. really did. Um, both people that were killed and then people that retired thereafter mm-hmm. uh, from various disabilities and things like that or just decided to retire. Um, but we still have, we have a lot of good people in, in the FDNY. We really do. Um, the fire service is just, a, the fire service in general is just, uh, you know, people that that are people of service, right? So mm-hmm. I'm just proud to be part of it, you know. And so, you know, 9-11 was a difficult time. Um, you look back on it and, you you know, I felt I became a better a better person, a mm-hmm. better firefighter, a better fire officer. Um, but it was a stressful time, uh, I would say, as well. Mm-hmm. Now, with that, because I know... <laughs> There were volunteer fire departments on around the New York City area, Long mm-hmm. Island, upstate mm-hmm. New York. I, I don't know if anybody from Jersey came in. Um, I'm sure that there probably were. But t- 
to kind of move over, you know, what made you decide to proceed through the ranks of the volunteer fire department Mm -hmm. and then, and then kind of balance out both sides of that? Yeah. So I had always been involved. Uh, I grew up in Deer Park where I still live today. My parents moved there when I was three years old. So I told you I joined the volunteers when I was 18. Mm-hmm. And I always felt that I wanted to serve the best that I could. And I just was very fortunate that I I, uh, I was able to, to uh, proceed through the ranks of the volunteers and just kind of try to pass on my experience. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, when I became a chief in the volleys, I had been, I guess... Uh, Chief in Deer Park. Yeah, I was on a job when I first became chief there. I guess I had just about twenty years on the FDNY. Okay. I I made battalion chief actually when I was when I was the chief, mm-hmm. and uh, just wanted to pass on my experience, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, being part of the community for that long, uh, you always try to uh, make your community better. Uh, make it better prepared. Small community of you know thirty or thirty-five thousand people, mm-hmm. and uh, active. You know a lot of uh, medical calls, and uh, not too many fires. Thankfully, right? Yeah. You know, uh, so, but yeah, I I just had a I had a uh, I had an aspiration to just serve. You know, in my community, I really enjoyed it. You yeah. know, I mean, it's a lot of time away from your family. Yeah, my wife is a saint. She really is. She's an angel on earth, man. Like all the things that she has put up with, and during the progression of my career, yeah. both volunteer and career, and she's an amazing woman. And so, uh, um, she's she's uh, she, she. If I couldn't have done any of it without her, so you know, there's there's no question about mm-hmm. it. You know, there's not even no question. So, but yeah, I just I I wanted to just serve my community. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about service. That's what we do, right? That's Absolutely. who we are. That's yeah. who we become. You know, uh, I often tell young firefighters, you know, the fire service, when you de- decide that you want to serve, whether you're a volunteer or, or a career firefighter, you know, the fire service is is not just like, uh, I, I consider the fire service a vocation. Mm-hmm. It's a commitment to something bigger than yourself. It really yeah. is. I mean, some people say it sounds corny and things, but that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Service is service. You Absolutely. Know, and, uh, you, you know, people join the military. That's something bigger than yourself. You Absolutely. want to serve your country, right? Mm-hmm. It's probably the one thing I regret most in my life that I didn't serve in the military. You know, yeah. I wish I would have, but mm-hmm. I did it in another way. So, um, and I, I, I haven't looked back. You know, mm-hmm. it's been a great, a great career on both sides of the house. Yeah. The now, there's always the the long running jokes in the volunteer fire service of you know oh being chief is so difficult being chief is so difficult you can't have friends when you're a volunteer chief. What made you decide to go back to be? Because I believe you, if I understand correctly, you were chief twice yes. in the volunteer service. Yes. Yes. Most people would call you crazy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I tell you the truth. You know, people. I loved it. Okay. I loved it. Good. And no, I really, it's great. I really enjoyed it. You know, it's it's hard. I tell people all the time, probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life was be the chief of a volunteer fire department. Mm-hmm. It's just a very, very difficult job yeah. because you're you're dealing with people from all walks of life, mm-hmm. um, from all different types of careers, uh, multi-talented people, 
and trying to bring all those folks together into and and and, and concentrate on one mission mm-hmm. is very challenging. But what I found was because I kind of grew up in a community and you kind of know everybody, uh, particularly with the folks that join, mm-hmm. you get to know them. Mm-hmm. And what I had mentioned earlier was that you got to get to know people. Yeah, you got to know them. You got to know important. who they are, where they come from, what's their background, what kind of family do they have, and what kind of work do they do. And I found that you you can you can try and get the most out of people by just just treating them nicely. You know, yeah. the the volunteer system today is very difficult. The time constraints, the training requirements, mm-hmm. it's very very difficult. Uh, so. I've been an instructor out here in Long Island at the Fire Academy in Suffolk County for, for you know, going on, getting close to 30 years. Mm-hmm. I started there in like 1991, and I I love it. Mm-hmm. I stay in it. You know, as busy as I am, I try to stay in it because I feel like it keeps you in the game, uh, keeps you focused on what's important. Uh, and I especially enjoy instructing for the younger people the firefighter one classes the firefighter two classes because that's where you really can have some influence on these on these people that Big time. that are in, in in coming into the fire service and you know people join fire service at different ages like i said my dad joined when he was 35 years old yeah kids join at 18 people join their mid-20s yeah but the fire service needs young people today the volunteer fire service needs yeah. young people man people that are, you know, married, have a couple of kids, mom works, dad's working two jobs. It is very difficult for them to find the time. And so what we've seen right on Long Island in particular, uh, we're seeing most departments, particularly the particularly those that serve and uh, provide EMS services, mm-hmm. um, they're hiring people. Yeah. They're paying people to do the service. They have to. Yeah, because the time requirements are impossible. We're obligated to provide service to the community, and if we don't, we're not doing what we're supposed to do, and we're not doing, uh, we're not, we're not accomplishing the mission. So, most places now are paying people to provide the EMS service, mm-hmm. and they're providing a good service in most cases, as far as I I can tell. Yeah, and um, the 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 fire side of the house is you know. It's hard to keep people involved. Thankfully, like I said, we don't do a lot of working fires. You know, in the communities we live in, we we, we shouldn't be. And when I was a young kid, maybe it would be different, right? We're not. Yeah. Everybody says, "Oh yeah, we're waiting for a fire," but it's hard to keep people interested when you're not doing the work, right? Yeah, regular. So training is important. It's more important, in fact, I think, because of that. Mm-hmm. But to try and keep people interested is very difficult. It's trying to. Trying to go through that whole team building process uh, and volunteer service is very, very difficult. Uh, strictly because, uh, in many cases, because of the time, mm-hmm. time factor. You know, if you don't have a young group of folks that kind of take care of most of the most of the runs, um, particularly the let's just call them the non-emergency runs, mm-hmm. um, you, you're not going to be successful. And so I don't, I, I don't know what the answer is. The answer is recruitment. Uh, trying to recruit young folks, yeah. trying to recruit them out of high school. Um, if they're going to stay home and go to college and commute from home, those are the folks that we should be going after, you know, mm-hmm. uh, th- th- that that age group, I think, 18 to 25 years old. That's, yeah. That is a key to success if we're going to sustain the volunteer system as it is, you know, here on Long Island. And uh, 
I, I don't I don't know what what the future brings. You yeah. know, I think is we have some challenges moving forward. What do you think? You know, where do you think the fire service will be in, you know, five, ten, twenty years, maybe? The volunteer service yeah. on Long Island. Uh, well, I I think that there are a few places on Long Island that pay people. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of places, right? Garden City is one. Long Beach is another. Mm-hmm. Not too many others, but there are a lot of departments now. They have uh, whatever the title is. They have people working for them in their fire stations during the day in particular you know that could serve as drivers for the engines yeah uh, for the apparatus right so that's the first step that's been going on for a while um at some point i i do see that there's going to probably be some type of uh paid service uh even if it's a part-time thing um only because the call volume never goes down it keeps going up Mm-hmm. So we had to do that with EMS. Uh, I think with the fire runs, I think eventually we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll get to that. But here's the thing: what I what I like and I I see a lot of in the uh, all around, uh, particularly Suffolk County, a lot of departments now knowing that their staffing is challenging during the day or mm-hmm. challenged during the day, they have these automatic mutual aid plans mm-hmm. where. Um, multiple departments get toned out. I know you guys do it out in this neighborhood here. Yep, absolutely. Um, you almost have to. I mean, you, you really do you, have to. You do. And so we're able to get it done. You know, we're able to get enough people to come and get to the working fires. Usually the working fires, we don't have a problem getting <laughs> enough people, right? Everybody wants to go to those. But it's all the other stuff, right? Absolutely. To get people to show up. You know, that's hard. Um, so I, I don't really know the answer, but I, I do see five, ten, fifteen, maybe not five, ten, fifteen years from now, there's, there's going to have to be some kind of a change. Um, but here's the problem. The folks that came before us in the volunteer service, I tell guys this all the time in my place, we have to have a tremendous amount of respect for the, f- back in those days, the forward-thinking people that they were, whether your department started in the 1800s or the 1900s, early 1900s. My department started in 1932. Mm-hmm. These people were pretty smart folks, you know, how they kind of built it. They yeah. built what we have today. They really were responsible for building what we were and starting what we have today. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we pay for it, right? We have we, we pay a fire tax, you know, and we have pretty good equipment for the most part. We have pretty good we're facilities. Very fortunate on Long Island. Um, but now we got to get people to, to, to show up and get on the fire trucks, right? So, um, I think that sometimes we lose sight of the fact that the people that um, came before us and developed this whole system as it stands, it was all about community. Yeah. Back in the day, the firehouse was the cent- literally the center of the community. Mm-hmm. And everything that happened in a community in a town revolved around the firehouse. Yeah. Parades, carnivals, fairs, things like that. And... It does, to an extent today, a little bit, but not as much. Um, but everybody is concerned about their own community, right? Everybody's concerned about their own community, and rightly so. It's my community. 
So when you start talking and you throw that dirty word out there, consolidation and things, you know, that's that's very difficult to swallow, right? <laughs> dirty word. You, oh, you, you, you hear a lot of politicians talking about it, right? Yep. Uh, well, a lot of duplication of service, but... Think about your own your own neighborhood. Like, I mean, I'm serving my community. That's yeah. what I want to do. I don't want to serve somebody else's community. I want to serve my community. Absolutely. So that's going to be a difficult task. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you'll ever see any kind of that consolidation. There's been some of it around the country, mm-hmm. not 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 around here though. And uh, you know, we have 109 fire departments in Suffolk County, right? Oh wow. 109. Yeah. Right, different fire. I think seventy-one departments in Nassau County. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, right? It's a lot of different. Uh, let's call them uh, fiefdoms or fiefdoms, however the the term is pronounced. Everybody's in their own little world, like Absol- and no, absolutely. Nobody wants to kind of look outside their world, and you know, I think if we all sat down together, sometimes we could try to we could probably figure out some of the answers. You know, it's absolutely. just it's just a matter of someone taking the leadership role and doing it. You know, absolutely. so that's. That's the hard thing, you yeah. know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I think something's got to happen and yeah. if we're going to be able to sustain it. Right? Absolutely. No, it's. I mean, and the, I think the craziest part about Suffolk County too, because we are located in all in one county and we have the fork at the end. But I just remember going out to the Manorville fires a couple of years back, and uh, that, I think it was five years ago now. And you know, you don't see fire hydrants. They are far and few between. You have tanker trucks filling you up, and if you don't have a tanker truck, you're not getting water. Five inch, five inch hose stretched for a mile to get water to wherever it needs to go because that's the only way to get water. You know, it's just. And then you think about it, and you come closer to, you know, the Bayport area or, or something like that, and it's like, oh, you know, we have we have a fire engine every 500 feet. Right. You know, and then you go to you go to Nassau County, and you know you got numbers painted on the the sidewalk for right. every house and you're just like you could go from the most sophisticated system to a more suburban system to they don't even have water out in some parts of you know and you're just like oh my goodness like what happens yeah it's uh listen if if we don't have water we're not going to be good mm-hmm. we're not going to succeed right i mean that's the basics of all basics in the fire service yep. you know so yeah uh but what's amazing is that those those areas that don't have good water sources don't have good hydrant systems mm-hmm. i was always i've always been impressed with those departments uh that that know how to operate tankers mm-hmm. and operate shuttles and 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 do that kind of work yeah they uh, figured but, it out because they're good at it yep. they're really good at it they know what they have to do uh but to your point if we don't have water it's problematic yeah. uh and um, we're, we're not going to be successful, yep. you know. You're not going to save lives, uh, and that's the mission, right? Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, absolutely. The um, I'm I'm just reading over some of the questions here because uh, I, this is one of the first times I've ever on a podcast taken questions from the outside. But you're a very highly regarded person in the fire service, and everybody. It was funny when when I first uh, I was like, oh, I would love to have him on the podcast when you were giving your class. Uh, one one of my ex chiefs, Bob Fleming, was like, he's like, no, he's 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 too busy. There's no way. But he's like, look, I'd love to see, go try, you know, by all means. And uh, I was like, all right, you know, hey, if he says if he says no, you know, I get it. He, you're super, you're a super busy guy. And then if he says yes, I'm like, 
that's incredible to have the opportunity to sit down with somebody like you to 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 go over all this stuff. So I'm I'm just I asked for some questions from some friends, and uh, so now now I want to read through a couple of them. What were some of the more most memorable incidents from FDNY and your time as uh, in Deer Park? So my uh, my first memorable. Uh, incident of well, my one of my first memories in the FDNY, honestly, was uh, the day that I uh, graduated probie school. Mm-hmm. You know, it was uh, it was pretty cool. You know, back in those days, probie school was six weeks. Uh, now it's eighteen weeks. Yeah. Uh, you know, times <laughs> little, have changed a bit, right? A little different. So, like, you know, you went through six weeks of school, and uh, they they gave you a blessing and said, "Go." Good luck, you know, yeah. but, but, but it was, uh, you know, I remember my mom and my dad being there and it was, um, I actually at the time, my, my, uh, my fiance, okay. I had gotten engaged while I was in probie school, you know? And so I remember that. And I remember the first day going to my first firehouse, mm-hmm. uh, in Brownsville section of Brooklyn engine 227. Uh, and you know, I'm a kid grew up on Long Island. I was a kid on Long Island and back, Back at that time, 1980, you know, the, the fire department, the city went through a really tough time through the 70s. It's a really tough time uh, fiscally and socially, and it was a lot of fires, uh, a lot of tragedy, a lot of neighborhoods were literally burnt down. Mm-hmm. And this place where I went, yeah, just uh, Brownsville, Brooklyn. Or? Uh, well, you know, I, I don't know the reason, but I know that a lot of cities at that time, there were a lot of fiscal problems, you know, mm-hmm. and so... There was a lot of a lot of heartache, man. A lot of a lot of people were really, um, you know, in, in tough shape, you know. Um, and and that part of the city where I went to work, I remember going to the firehouse, and I was just in, I was, you know, I grew up in Long Island, right? Mm-hmm. So I go to this neighborhood in Brownsville, Brooklyn. There were burnt out, vacant buildings everywhere. Like every block you drove up the block, there were literally rows of vacant buildings just burnt out. Empty, yeah, non-lovable, yeah, in- inhabitable, and that was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty uh, impressive to the point where I was like, "Oh my goodness!" You know how sad is this, right? Yeah. As, as a young kid going into and seeing that, you know, I just felt terrible. Yeah, you know, um, and so, you know, my first firehouse. My wife will say to this day that was that was her favorite firehouse. You know, coming <laughs> when I got on the job, yeah, and. Uh, the, the the when I when I when I uh, when I went to rescue was another you know time where I, I look back on it, it was one of the favorite parts You're of my rescue career. Too? Yes, and I you know I was only there for three years. I was on the lieutenant's list, and then I got oh. promoted. But I I got the opportunity to work with some of the folks I mentioned before, and I I felt like I really learned how to be a firefighter. Mm-hmm. I learned it, you know. I started to learn it in the two companies I was in before with the people that I worked with. Mm-hmm. And then here, just because of the, the amount of fires we were able to go to, uh, I really was able to, you know, learn my craft and, and feel pretty comfortable and I was going to get promoted to lieutenant. And it certainly 9-11 was, was, was a time. It's funny, as, you know, the memory goes, right, we never want to forget it, except you know, people will discuss sometimes, I'll be talking to people and they'll say, remember when, 
you know, at nine eleven, you know, down on the pile, and I and I, some of the things I don't remember. I don't remember a lot of things. You know, I mm-hmm. think probably purposefully, like right, yeah. I don't want to remember it. Right. Yep. We don't want to forget the day. We don't want to forget the folks. We don't remember. We always want to remember them and their families. You know, God bless them all. Um, but um, certainly that was that was it. And then, you know, uh, um, you know, had a had a had a had a bunch of pretty good fires. You know, when I was at, when I was a firefighter in, in all the different places that you could look back on and you you're like, wow, you know, I uh, you know you know. You know, almost got killed or almost you know got hurt badly yeah. you know and uh we you, you get through it because of your training mm-hmm. uh, because of the folks that you work with because of your team right yeah um in the volunteer fire department um one of my uh, most memorable moments is when i became an assistant chief uh i guess that was 1995 my dad had been pretty sick you know, he was, mm-hmm. and, and uh, he really wasn't coming down to the firehouse a lot. But the night I was getting sworn in as the new third assistant chief, they got my dad to come down and swear me in. So that was pretty cool. That is really cool. That was cool. So I didn't expect it. It was actually a surprise because oh. he was pretty sick. You know, he had had cancer and stuff. And oh. so he wasn't doing well. And, but he came down, you know, and he, and he, and he, and he did it. So that was, that was pretty cool. And that was uh, something I'll never forget. Right. And, uh, um, you know, we had a couple of fires in Deer Park over the years that were uh, pretty hairy. Um, but, you know, you learn from all of them, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, like I said, you know, the, the, the big part for me now is not just to try and pass on some of the experiences that, that, that I've had. And, um, you know, so there's some kids that are waiting to come on FDNY. Uh, in fact, there's a kid that's coming in. He's in the, the probie class that's coming in now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just beside himself, like he's so happy that he got oh, out of job. Yeah, you know, it's an amazing opportunity. You know, we got another. We had a guy in the last class. We have another kid to be in the next class. So they're uh, just. Uh, it's fun to watch yeah. these young kids. You know, when I see the probationary firefighters in, at work now, you know, I tell them often. I see them walking down the hallways of the fire academy and say, "I wish I was you." You know, I could start <laughs> over again. You know, because yeah. I loved every minute of it. You yeah, know? but. Uh, those those are just some of the some of the, some of the, I have so many good memories, man. Yeah. It's just it's just uh, yeah, like I said, I've been, I've been living the dream, man. It's yeah. just it's been a great run. Uh, I'm not done yet. I'm gonna continue to work for a while, and um, as long as my wife lets me, you know, that's all good. <laughs> but she she retired, so you know, and we have a granddaughter now, and so you know, a couple of kids married. One more is getting married. My last one will get married next year, so. <clears throat> but I, I have no plans on retiring anytime soon. What, yeah. what are your plans for like the next five, ten years? You know, you can work in New York City till you're 65 years old, mm-hmm. right? So I still have another uh, like six plus years I could work, you okay. know. And uh, you know, I just I you know like it, I just want to enjoy my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. You know, I have one now. I'm sure I'll have more. You mm-hmm. know, I want to enjoy my grandchildren. My wife and I would like to travel and do some things. And, and I really do want to stay in the business of teaching. I want to mm-hmm. stay as an instructor. I'll stay in Suffolk County as long as I can. Yeah. Do you um, do you go all around the country too to train? Or? Not really. I, I used to go to some of the conferences. You know, I went to Fires Expo several years, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, me and my buddy Rich Blattis, we, we did a lot of teaching together over the years. Uh, we did. Uh, I started with him doing live fire training at uh, Firehouse Expo. We did that for several years. Oh, wow. Um, then we got into doing the classroom stuff, probably starting back in like, uh, let's see, 
2005 or six. Okay. Uh, but the last several years, I haven't done as many. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking at the New York State Chiefs Conference next okay. week, um, next Saturday, the the, the 16th. I'm, okay. I'm doing a uh, a presentation um, on Saturday morning. Okay. Uh, but once in a while, I'll do stuff. You know, people call me. I'll I'll, I'll do it if I can. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, I I am trying to wind down a little bit with that <laughs> kind of stuff. You know, uh, I went to San Diego a couple of times to the firehouse uh, program out there. Okay. Uh, did FDIC What's a bunch of times. What's special out there? Just Firehouse Expo, uh, they do it, I guess they call it Firehouse Expo West. They do in San Diego every, I think it's usually January, Feb- February usually, February. Yeah. Uh, San Diego's a beautiful city. Yeah. So I, I, I went there a couple of times, did FDIC a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, actually more than a couple, but I've, I've enjoyed it. Um, I was supposed to go to FDIC this past year, mm-hmm. but we had a line of duty death in FDNY. Mm-hmm. Um, firefighter Tolly uh, in uh, Queens, uh, mm-hmm. 135 truck, he passed away, so I didn't go. Is that the basement fire? No, he's the gentleman that uh, fell out of the towel ladder basket. Okay. You know, in Queens? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that happened right right before FDIC, so I didn't, I didn't go. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, but it was supposed to go this year, but maybe next year. We'll see. Mm-hmm. See how it goes. But uh, I don't do as much yeah. as I did in past years. Yeah. You know, just trying to wind Relax it down a little, a little bit. A little bit. You deserve it. And plus the job that I'm in now, it's mm-hmm. very, very – I can't. I really can't take off like to go travel like that. So yeah. it's uh, – Yeah, it's, it's probably pretty, much more pretty, standardized. Yeah, time yeah. To, or yeah. set hours. Or yeah, I work mostly days, uh-huh. you know, during the week. And um, – you know, it's it, they're usually long days, so it's uh, it's tough to, to get away. You know? Yeah. So, uh, but um, you know, today I came because I, I was taken off today, so I, I was able to come and, and speak with you. So it was it was it was good. No, I appreciate that. The uh, now when you're slowing down and stuff like that, what do you you know what are you doing? You're obviously a diehard firefighter mm-hmm. your whole life. What do you do in your free time? So I like to play golf. I like to read. Good sport. I don't get to read as much as I'd like to, or uh, that I or that I did. What uh, the book you recommended? Oh, um, yeah, read it. The men. The oh, men, the mission, the men and me. Yes. Yeah, it's one of my favorite books. Awesome book. But I try to read. I play golf. I haven't played that much this year yet. Mm-hmm. You know, just been a little busy. But, um, and, and pretty much that's it, man. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I spend time with my wife. You know, we're we're kind of almost empty nesters. You know, my mm-hmm. son. Uh, got married in September. Him and his wife are living with us, but they're moving out very shortly. They're buying a house. Uh, my two girls are out. They mm-hmm. they both own homes, and uh, so we're almost empty nesters. Nice. So, uh, yeah, I, I just want to, you know, when I'm off from work, I just try to wind it down and relax a little bit just to relax with my wife. Um, but I want to try and play a little more golf if I can. Mm-hmm. Um that's pretty. I'm a pretty simple person. Like I, I'm, I don't, I don't. I'm not. I'm not a high maintenance person. Like I'm pretty simple. And so, a little golf, a little reading, and I'm good. That's it. That's, That's all you it. need. It's all good. All right. I got. I got a couple more questions here for you. Nah, no problem. In relationship to NFPA, if there are all the standards, um, and written ways we quote unquote should be doing things, why has the why has this not been adopted as a fire service? "Quote unquote law and strictly followed in the volunteer fire service. If you can go to court, can these standards be held against you? Sure. 
absolutely, the standards can be held against you because they're what they call consensus standards. Mm -hmm. And so any good lawyer will take out an NFPA standard and hold uh, somebody in the fire service to account. Mm -hmm. um, so they, even though they're not laws per se, right, yeah, yeah. but they're consensus standards. You might have to give standards. a brief background on NFPA as well. Well, I, 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 for the listeners. Yeah, so the National Fire Protection Association publishes standards. Mm -hmm. um, that's exactly what they are, standards, yep. uh, guidelines, right, on all kinds of things affecting the fire service and, and other industries as well. Mm -hmm. But as it relates to the fire service, there's several standards. Uh, you know, there's a standard uh, 1001 on basic firefighter training, firefighter one, right? Mm -hmm. There's a fire officer standard. 1021 for fire officer standards, different mm -hmm. levels, fire officer 1, 2, 3, 4. Mm -hmm. There is fire service standards for volunteer service response, career service response. Mm -hmm. There's so many different standards. that There's an incident command standard. There's a, a rehab standard. There's all kinds of different standards. So the thing is, is that fire chiefs actually need to be aware of the standards. A lot of chiefs, they don't really look at them. Mm -hmm. Uh until such time they get a little jammed up. And, and then that, they now they're like, oh boy, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. But you will be held accountable to an NFPA standard in a court of law. There is no question about it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's the 1403 standard on live fire training. Mm -hmm. There was a fire chief up in Lairdsville, New York, several years ago, went to jail. Oh my goodness. Because he did not follow the guidelines in NFPA 1403 which has been revised a few times, and it was a firefighter fatality in, in a training. training exercise. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Fire chief, volunteer fire chief went to jail. I don't remember how long he went to jail for, but he served time. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was held accountable uh, to, to that particular standard, among other things, you know, uh, in the court of law. So anybody can read about it. It's available if you Googled it, Lairdsville, New York. Uh, firefighter fatality in training, mm -hmm. you could see the whole story. So the NFPA standards are very important for fire chiefs in particular to understand. Yeah. Um, that, um, And again, they're standards. You try to aspire to them. Um, New York State most recently put out a best practices document mm -hmm. on what, in the state of New York, what they feel is a reasonable training regimen from firefighter all the way up to chief officer. Oh, wow. So is that for FDNY or is that for the volunteer that's service? That's for New York State. You okay. know, so um, if you look it up on the New York State uh, Office of Fire Prevention and Control, which comes under the Department of Homeland Security now in New York State, uh, it's the best practices document uh, for training requirements in the state of New York. And that is something certainly in my humble opinion, that you could be held accountable to. If somebody gets hurt, the first thing they always do is they'll go look for guys' training records. Mm -hmm. They'll ask for training records. And so if you're not keeping good records, number one, that's a problem, right? Yeah. But then if you are keeping good records, what, do you, what are the standards you're holding your people accountable to? Like mm -hmm. in Suffolk County, we have firefighter one, we have firefighter two, we have fire officer, um, we have intro to fire officer, we have heavy rescue, we have all different mm -hmm. uh, training programs. Um, and many of them would meet the requirements in that best practices document. But mm -hmm. each, each fire chief has to take a look at that and see 
what they want to hold their firefighters accountable to because you do have to be trained to do this work. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you have to have some level of competence to do this work. And so that's why in particular now when a young man or woman makes a decision to become an officer or a chief officer in volunteer fire department, that is a big, big responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your day job, and now you're going to take on a role as a supervisor in a volunteer organization. Mm-hmm. Um, you will be held accountable and if something goes wrong. So you need to really pay attention to those things. Absolutely. Now, I've now here's, here's a, kind of like a question inside of a question. So... In training, obviously, you go. You have live burns and stuff like that out at the the academies. Um, now, if if you have training at the academy, and at least the way the volunteer service does, you know, you go back, you make sure all the rigs are back in service. You the chief tells the dispatcher, puts it in the system, and then everybody punches in for the credit for the for going to training. But now, if you have a member of the volunteer particularly the volunteer fire service, and they go to said training out in Suffolk County or Nassau or wherever, and they kind of slack off or they kind of take a step back regularly, and they're not getting as in-depth training as being able to go into the buildings, you know, either doing searches, putting the line in place, and then when the time comes that shit hits the fan, and in in the volunteer service and and they go and they do get injured or something seriously serious happens to them everybody kind of punches in on the same level of hey i went to this training but you know if they get injured whose fault does it typically come under you know the fact that they took the, the step back or and they weren't challenged enough or you know I guess the chief or whoever doesn't throw them into the situation to, to practice. Well, that, that's a good question. I think each individual department uh, has their their uh, has the ability to set the standard in their own individual department. Mm-hmm. But when, when there are documents out there that kind of help them along, it's kind of easy. You take a look at this best practices document. It kind of spells out what a basic uh, minimum – standard or minimum level of competences or a minimum level of training mm-hmm. that a firefighter, fire officer, chief officer should have mm-hmm. um, prior to anything happening. So if you, if you at the least, it's, again, it's a minimum standard, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but I would argue also that probably the most important training that we do mm-hmm. is live fire training. Yeah. When you put people in those positions – to make sure that the apparatus is in the right place, that the hose line gets stretched to the right location, that firefighters are competent in the use of an SCBA and they could do a search properly and locate the fire, confine the fire, extinguish the fire, put ladders in the right places. These are all the fundamentals of firefighting. Mm-hmm. And a good friend of mine often says to me, we have to be brilliant in the basics. Mm-hmm. If we are good in the fundamentals, it's just like any sport. Mm-hmm. If you are good in the fundamentals, you will be successful. Mm-hmm. If you're not good in the fundamentals, you will not be successful. So I think that many times initially we try to put blame on people, oh, yeah. but it is a function of management because when you're a fire chief, 
you're not only a leader, you're a manager. You have to manage a training program, mm -hmm. manage a driver training program, manage uh, um, your fund drive, manage your organizational requirements, right? Mm -hmm. But as it relates to training, that's probably the most important piece yeah. as far as preparing people to be able to function in structural interior firefighting, right? And if we we have to be we have to we have to look at a minimum standard at the least. Yeah. You want to go beyond that if you ask me, you want to be better than that. But I think that many times people take for granted, oh, we went to a Yapank a couple of times. Yeah, everybody didn't go. Nobody everybody didn't make a live burn this year, but uh we'll be fine. And then when something happens and they look at someone's training records, well, wow, this firefighter hasn't been to a live burn in five years. Yeah. And they were operating at a structural fire and something happened, right? They're definitely going to look back at their training records. There's no question about it. Mm -hmm. So like in my department in particular, there's a requirement that you attend at least one live burn at Yapank when we go to the fire academy at least once a year. Mm -hmm. In addition to the burn drills that we do in our own. We're very fortunate. We have our own burn facility. And oh, we, we operate it according to NFPA 1403. Mm -hmm. The whole, we do it the right way. Everybody's trained. Mm -hmm. The instructors are trained. And we do it properly. So uh, we're fortunate in Deer Park. And there's other departments on the island that have their own burn buildings, you know. And so we try to get people to do hands-on training as much as possible. Mm -hmm. That's the name of the game. You have to perform the skills to be good at the skills. Absolutely. Classroom is good. Mm -hmm. Theory is good. But hands-on is where you need to concentrate for this kind of business. Because if you're not, when the real deal comes, and we said we don't have a lot of fires to begin with, yeah. are we really going to be prepared yeah. and, and, and ready to go to work? Absolutely. I, I, I would argue no. Absolutely. No, that's that's some really good insight. The... Uh, yeah, it, it that's all that's always one thing that always kind of, you know, being a firefighter, it's like, hey, if I have to get on that rig with that guy who you know is probably not up to date on their training or might be up to date on training on paper, mm -hmm. but isn't really putting their best foot forward. Definitely sends a little chill down your back when you're uh, in the rig with them going somewhere. And that's one of the challenges, you know, for volunteer fire service in particular is that they getting people to come yeah you got to make it worth their while absolutely i think i mentioned when i was doing that leadership class in my opinion and i've learned this over the years this is nothing that i kind of figured out and people people in the volunteer service they come down for a drill it has to be meaningful mm -hmm. it has to be timely no more than an hour mm -hmm. a hands-on drill done sometimes if you're going to go a little longer fine but make it worth people it. need to manage time and mm -hmm. so if we're not first of all we have to prepare the drill so that we're not getting to the firehouse and say okay what are we going to drill on tonight no the officers and the chief officers need to prepare the training program have it ready when people come don't waste their time that's the point right mm -hmm. and so in the career service firefighters in in new york city they come to training constantly yeah they're coming to the fire academy on duty uh with the rig in service training Mm -hmm. uh, we have teams go to the fire stations and do drills. Um, firefighters come once a year for what we call an annual education day. Okay. Um, that's all contractually 
uh, agreed upon, mm-hmm. and they get an eight-hour day of training mm-hmm. uh, once a year. Yeah, and that's all in their training records, right? In addition to all of the other in-service drills that they attend throughout the year. So, when you're working, yeah, it, it's easy. Yeah, we're going to the fire academy, you know. Yep. yep. Uh, in the volunteer service, it's a little different. Hey, you, know, you gotta you get, take off from work. Got wife, home. Kids. I, I got home from work at six o'clock. Had a little dinner. See the kids, and I got to go to a drill. Well, make the drill worthwhile and make it timely and, and don't waste their time. That that would be my mm-hmm. my uh, advice. Um, that's really good advice. Uh, all right, I got one more question for you, and then we'll start to wrap this thing up. I understand you were recognized by Firehouse Magazine, one of, if not uh, the leading firehouse fire service publication. How did it feel to get this honor, and how did it feel when you walked out and saw so many of your Town of Babylon Fire Department brothers there to support you? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I was very, very humbled by the recognition. Uh, My friend uh, Bob Kutch, who was an ex-chief in Deer Park, uh, he was chief when I was an assistant chief years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, He's a gentleman. He's he's uh, he's actually on the V board, uh, Suffolk County Fire Academy now. What is the and, V board? Uh, the Vocational Education and Extension Board okay. is the group. Is nine people on the board that actually manage the fire academy? Oh wow! Yes, did not know that. Right, so they manage the fire academy. They work with the county with Fire Rescue Emergency Services Commission, and they they manage the budget for the fire academy, mm-hmm. and they set policy for the fire academy. They work with the executive director of the fire academy to uh, to uh, manage the fire academy. He nominated me for the award, which mm-hmm. I did not know mm-hmm. obviously until I got selected and I got uh, contacted to to uh, be able to come out to Nashville to receive the award. But it was humbling. You know, like I said, uh, most of us are not in this business for that, like, recognition, right? We just want to do good. We want to serve. Yeah. And so um, you're always proud to receive those types of awards. Uh, more than anything, I was I was, I was, was proud that my kids, you know, could see that, that I got recognized. It wasn't really me, you know, about mm-hmm. me. I said, you know, my kids see that all the work and effort that I put into yeah. over the years into trying to be the best they could be. You know, it was recognized. It was very humbling. I, I, uh, and to see people, local people that were out all the way out in Nashville, Tennessee, right? They made the, took the time to come to say congratulations was really nice. And, uh, I, I was very humbled. That, that would be the word that I would use. It was, uh, was a tremendous honor. And, you know, Firehouse along with Fire News, um, they were, uh, couldn't have been nicer. And it was, uh, it was really an honor to receive the award. I, I, I was, I was, uh, you know, what I said, if I remember correctly, what I said, you know, it's all about we 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 that have been in the fire service or continue to serve. We're uh, what I would suggest. Uh, we're stewards. We 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 have a, a responsibility to be stewards of the fire service. Take care of the fire service. Keep the fire service as good as it's going to be, and make it better. Right. So, if you could do that in your career, volunteer or or career, mm-hmm. uh, make it better. Than the people before you, um, and have some kind of a, an impact, then then you 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 accomplish something, right? So to be recognized, that's what I said that day. It's all about stewardship. It's all about passing on information, passing on uh, experiences, and working together to make it better and yeah. to to uh, to uh, carry on the mission, if you will. Mm-hmm. I got gotcha. you. Cool, man. The uh, all right. So we're gonna wrap this thing up, but before we do. I want you to give some final thoughts. 
if you want people to find you, I don't know if you have any social media or anything like that or yeah. or whatnot, or the best piece of advice you can give out to both volunteers, paid paid firefighters, and just the regular civilian. So I'm, I'm, I'm not a social media person. Totally you fine. Know, I'm just not. And, uh, uh, so I, and I don't know much about it. My kids would probably have to teach me about it. However, uh, you know, if anybody ever wanted to reach out to me, um, you you could uh, um, probably I, if I just gave you my email address, you yeah, could probably if you shoot want, me an email. And you're okay you know? with saying it out. I'm you okay can with say it, out your email. My uh, my 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 email address is r i c h a r t j one nine five nine at gmail dot com. You can shoot me an email. I'll be happy to get back to you. If you have any questions, comments, concerns about the fire service in general. Um, I'd be happy to be happy to take your emails, no problem. And I would say the biggest piece of advice that I have for particularly young firefighters today mm-hmm. is that once you decide that this is something for you, that you decide that you really want to make this a career or a commitment of some sort, um, you you really, really have to dig down deep and just say, I want to be the best that I can be. And how can I do that? You need to constantly train. You need to constantly read. I often say, and I said it at the leadership seminar, you have to become a student of the job. That's how I term it. And people have told me that. My mentor said it to me. Become a student of the job. So what does that mean? You all today, the, the, the generation of today, the fire service of today, you have so many resources to become the best that you could be between social media, internet, publications, magazines. Um, it's just amazing the resources that are out there and the fact that you can reach out via email mm-hmm. to all kinds of folks in the fire service. Most of the time when you read an article in Fire Engineering Magazine or Firehouse Magazine, normally the writer will have a contact email mm-hmm. that you can get in touch with them. That didn't happen for, for a very long time in, in those types of publications. Now it does yeah. because the network is big. And that's the thing. The fire service is a big network. There's 30, I think there's 33,000 fire departments in the United States. Mm-hmm. And you have the International Association of Fire Chiefs. You have the New York State Association of Fire Chiefs. Every state uh, has an organization. The network is huge, but you have to take advantage of it. You have to be a student of the job. Mm -hmm. Look into it. If you have questions, you can find the answers, man. You just have to research it, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, The other thing is, I would say, if you're really serious about this business, I think that trying to become educated, become as professional as you can be. Uh, I went to college for a short time as a young kid, but I eventually went back to college as an, as an adult and finished my degree. And I went on and got a master's degree as well. Uh, I was very fortunate to be able to do that. I think education is an important part of the future of the fire service. I think professionalizing the fire service, because for many, many years, we were like civil servants or community servants and, you know, we're just regular folks, uh, blue-collar folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think 
particularly if you're looking to become a leader in a fire service, you need to you need to educate. You need to be educated. There are several several fire service education degree programs all over the place. You go online mm-hmm. and can do these degree programs because I just think it's going to make the fire service better. Mm-hmm. When you have people that can think on their own and be forward-thinking people to come up with new ideas, come up with different ways of doing things because the boots-on-the-ground stuff, putting fires out, responding to emergencies, responding to medical calls, that never changes. What changes is the people. What changes is the technology. The equipment gets better and better and better. But at the end of the day, it's about you as an individual being able to stay up with the times, to stay up and and stay uh, a student of the job. So I would say very shortly, read, educate, and execute. You know what I mean? And in that order, you know? So um, if you do that, you'll be successful. If you treat people with dignity and respect at all levels, um, and and recognize that there's all kinds of folks that can do this work. You just got to find them. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll 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 do good. Cool, man. That was a great way to leave off. That was awesome. Uh, my pleasure to be here. Thanks I, for hanging I enjoy, out. I enjoyed being here. The, Thank uh, you so much for the opportunity. Good man. I'm glad you. Uh, I'm really glad you came down, and I'm glad we could uh, we could do this. I'm super excited about it. Good stuff. All right, Tom. Until the next time. All right, brother. Have a great day. Yes. Thank you. you. As well. I hope you guys enjoyed the, that podcast just as much as I did. It was heavily requested by people. I think this one's going to go pretty far. Um, I say that with a positive light because I have a lot of friends that are firefighters, and I think that this is going to hit home with a lot of them. Um, it's not every day that you get to sit down with somebody um, of this character, and I am beyond fortunate to. And I've developed a friendship with uh, Tom, and uh, I look f- very much forward to uh, continuing that and he's more than happy to come back on again i spoke to him shortly after um so i'm super excited for you guys to be able to know that and know that he's come back and he's gonna bring friends i think this time um so we're gonna get a whole lot more going in this regard i'm super super excited for it and uh like i said if you haven't smashed that subscribe button you better smash it i don't care you better if you i want you to hit it so hard i want you to shatter the phone on your i want you to shatter the glass on your phone i'm just kidding don't do that but just just hit it. Do it for me. Do it for Tom. Do it for all the people in the world that should should be learning more. All right? I love you guys. It means a lot. Share it out to somebody, especially if you know somebody in the volunteer or paid firefighter world. Uh, I think this would definitely benefit them. Uh, a lot of good stories. I, I'm so mad it had to end, but I can't wait for him to come back. Uh, as always, BrutallyHonestPodcast.com, Instagram, BrutallyHonestPodcast, Facebook, same thing. My personal Harrison underscore Baron. I know you guys know that I've been doing a bunch of stuff with the new company and uh, rocking and rolling in that regard, but I love you guys and uh, I'll see you guys on the next podcast. Until then, peace.